There is nothing wrong with your podcatcher. Do not attempt to adjust the feed. We are controlling the bitstream. We control the encoding. We can mispronounce names. We can consume alcoholic beverages. For the next half hour, we will control all that you read and discuss. Go to patreon.com slash sword and laser to pledge support. Welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and of course, awesome discussions from fans just like you. It's also a wizard. It's also a ferocious dragon. <laughs> it's also a spaceman. It's also Tom's mom. It's not my, it's not Diane Merritt. It's not? By any stretch, no. She likes time travel stuff, though. We have that in common. She doesn't read read a lot of genre, mostly romance. Yeah, I haven't gotten my mom to read any genre fiction that I'm aware of. Yeah, unfortunately, that was maybe someday. Dad, yeah, Dad Merritt, Bill Merritt, he was all into the sci-fi. Same for me. That's how I got into sci-fi fantasy. Anyway, so we all know where we got that from now. Uh, Tom, what what are you drinking? I just finished a delicious Coke Zero. Mm-mm. Zero calories. I was going to say zero flavor, <laughs> zero but actually flavor. I I prefer Coke Zero to regular Coke. So. Even the new, now that they have the new flavor of Coke Zero, I've gotten used to it, but it took me a little bit. What is the new flavor? Oh, yeah. It's zero sugar now, technically is what it's called. And they changed the flavor to make it taste more like regular Coke. But if you're used to the old Coke Zero flavor, that's not mm. necessarily a good thing. Okay. Yeah, I love Diet Coke. Just for the I taste love, of it? I love Diet Coke. See, I don't like Diet Coke that much. I'll drink it. It's fine, but I don't prefer it. It's like my guilty pleasure, even though it's Diet Coke. Coke Zero is my guilty pleasure. All right. Well, I'm going even uh, even lighter on my oh, sparkling, yeah. sparkling stuff. I'm drinking a watermelon sparkling water uh, from Waterloo. Oh, from Waterloo, not LaCroix. No. Not Singing Rain or whatever. <laughs> Dancing so this Rain. Is, I can't remember. This is new. I think it's new. It, it's probably been around for a long time, but it's like a, I never saw it at Whole Foods before. <laughs> I'm very fancy. I buy everything at Whole Foods. Your, hip, your hipster level just keeps rising. I'm not and drinking they, soda. I'm drinking sparkling water. I'm not drinking LaCroix. I'm drinking a new one that I found at Whole Foods. You probably haven't heard of it. It's called Next Waterloo. Next to my avocado toast. They don't just sell avocado toast <laughs> at Whole Foods. I assume in areas in San Francisco, they're just avocado toast vendors. Just well, every of, time every yeah, time I, I actually order avocado toast from a restaurant, <laughs> Ryan goes, well, there goes our mortgage payment. <laughs> That's funny. I'm like, all right. So in case you guys don't know, there's a... There's a, there was an article published about the $4 avocado toast or $7 avocado toast years ago mm-hmm. in San Francisco. And it's a big joke that like San Francisco is so hip and so expensive that even the toast costs a lot of money. <laughs> it's like, okay. Our avocado toast is quite reasonable down here in Los Angeles. Yeah. Are you saying I should, I should uh, move just to afford better avocado toast? Yeah, exactly. The, the cost real of estate. Av- the uh, the the C O A T levels. The cost of avocado toast levels are much better. 
I like there's like probably like an avocado toast heat map in yeah. LA that yeah. shows you like where the best rates oh, are. Oh yeah, no, it gets pricey over in Silver Lake, you mm-hmm. know, and mm-hmm. even makes in, sense. in Abikini. Uh, but you know, uh, East Side avocado toast uh, past Silver Lake, you know, super those cheap. up and coming avocado neighborhoods. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, we are going to do a little bit of a uh, a fun thing we picked up from our friends at the uh, reading glasses. In other words, we're ripping off Mallory we're and Bria. Stealing, Sorry. stealing their idea because people in the forums liked it. Uh, but Tom, what else are we reading? Okay, I'm gonna I'm just gonna tell you right now. There will be weeks where I'm gonna be reading the same thing I was reading last time because other than the actual monthly title, I have a hard time reading more because I read really slow. But I just finished, so that'll be guaranteed that I won't be talking about it again next time Mm -hmm. the armored saint by mike cole which is fantastic i read it because i like mike and it sounded interesting because it's about a young girl on a planet uh where demons have been rid uh, but there's always a danger that they might come back so the the government uh and the cult of the emperor uh, force people to be on guard against wizards because that's how the demons will get back in. Uh, and uh, it's it's fascinating. And it's the beginning of a series. So if you don't want to be in on a series, you might want to think about that. Uh, but it really leads you up to wanting to get that next part of the story, which is already available for pre-order. I've pre-ordered it myself. And if I remember correctly, it's it's is it a novella or is it a, a shorter novel? How, how was the length? I thought I could have sworn I heard it was a novella. You know, this is the problem with ebooks. Mm, <laughs> I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't know how long it was. It was a month or so long for me, which probably means it's shorter. Well, I am reading uh, European Travel for the Monstrous Gentlewoman, which is The Extraordinary Adventures of the Athena Club, number two by Theodora Goss. Oh, speaking Uh, of the series, good series, dude. Yes. And it was funny because I was talking about some stuff on my uh, Instagram stories. Uh, I did that uh, ask a question feature Mm, and mm -hmm. and some people were asking me what I read. And so I posted about it. Um, or no, they said, what was your, one of your top picks of the last year? And I said that it was, um, the first book in the series and, uh, someone responded and said, Hey, did you know that the second one just came out? And I don't know if it was the timing. I don't know if it was, um, a coincidence or if I had pre-ordered it, but somehow or another, I, I had already downloaded it onto my Kindle. And so I was already reading it when she mentioned it. I must've, um, and so, yeah, I'm about halfway through that right now and really enjoying it. And uh, that actually leads us quite nicely into our quick burns, where William says, Sword and Lasers may be interested to know that Theodore, Theodore, Theodore Goss <laughs> has released you, book two of The Athena Club, um, which is the sequel to The Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter. Uh, this was out on July 10th. Um, and, uh, he says it picks up exactly where the last one finished. He says, I've got my copy already. Me too, apparently. Um, and yeah, it, 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 it really does pick up and we get to meet a new character. Mm, I don't want to be spoilery, but if you're a fan of, mm, no, is it, is it in the same vein of the characters we meet in the first book? Mm, well, in other there words, is, yes. in other words, we meet. Uh, let's see if I can put this in a way that won't spoil anyone. We, I mean, some people are so spoiler sensitive saying there are characters might be a spoiler, but we meet characters in the first book that are drawn from various tales and mythologies uh, of the time. Mm -hmm. Is it in that same vein? 
I'm going to read the description of the book. Okay. Okay. In the sequel to the critically acclaimed The Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter, Mary Jekyll and the rest of the Daughters of Literature's mad scientists embark on a madcap adventure across Europe to rescue another monstrous girl and stop the alchemical society's nefarious plans once and for all. Oh. Mary Jekyll's life has been peaceful since she helped Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson solve the Whitechapel murders. Beatrice Rappaccini, uh, I hope I'm saying that right, Catherine Moreau, Justine Frankenstein, and Mary's sister Diana Hyde have settled into the Jekyll household in London. And although they sometimes quarrel, the members of the Athena Club get along as well as any five young women with very different personalities. At least they can always rely on Mrs. Poole. But when Mary receives a telegram that Lucinda Van Helsing has been kidnapped, the Ah. Athena Club must travel to the Austro-Hungarian Empire to rescue yet another young woman who has been subjected to horrific experimentation. Where is Lucinda, and what has Professor Van Helsing been doing to his daughter? Can Mary, Diana, Beatrice, and Justine reach her in time? Okay, so so it doesn't mention— The answer to your question is yes. The answer to my question is I'm not going to say who helps them because maybe it will be a spoiler. And I was very pleasantly surprised. So I don't want to take that away from anyone else. All right. Very good. Thank you, William. Uh, Nokomis.fl points out that Galaxy Magazine is now available on archive.org. If you're not aware of archive.org, their mission is to preserve all the world's information, including everything on the internet, uh, as, as the internet's library. And Galaxy Magazine, you know, ran through the 50s uh featured some of the the greatest writers like isaac asimov uh wrote for for galaxy uh and uh you can now just pop in and and read clifford d simak robert silverberg stories as they appeared for the first time in the 50s pretty cool oh hey um this is a little bit of a tangent but i wanted to mention it before i forgot guess what i got this weekend galaxy magazine no, oh. my very first San Francisco public library card. Oh, I I had one of those a long time ago. Well, okay. I guess mine's still good. Well, all right. Well, now I feel a little less ex- <laughs> special. I, I should have had one 15 years ago. I understand. No, I good just, for you. Good for you. I don't know how to use all these things. Like I got Libby for, it, from Overdrive, Uh huh. but I don't know how to get magazines. Oh, on... on Electronic magazines? Yeah. Mm, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I've never tried to get magazines electronically through my library, but that's a cool thing when you figure out to let us know how to do. I will. I, I, I took a couple of years longer than I should have to get an LA public library card, and I am very close to a branch uh, of the library, but I felt the same sense of accomplishment when I got it. I got very excited. I got it at our bookmobile. Oh, Nice. Uh, during Sunday Streets, which is like the street fair. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Ryan's already very upset that there is a hold on digital items. Mm, yeah. He doesn't under... I was like, I'll have Tom explain it to you sometime. <laughs> why well, they, I can explain the that. rationale. That doesn't mean he'll agree with it or, or think true. it's right. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on. Good for me. Pat on my back. Uh, Mark says... Fonda Lee sent out her newsletter today with a link to an excerpt of Jade War, the follow-up to Jade City. You can subscribe to her newsletter at her website, which is FondaLee.com. Okay, this is one of the coolest things about our audience, and I love this, uh, is that I feel like I know way more about Fonda Lee than I ever would have on my own. 
because we have a couple of people, I don't think it's just Mark, who are big fans and they make sure to let us know when there's new books coming out uh, and everything. And I think that's awesome because we're able to pass that along to everybody else. And and we mm-hmm. we can't know all the authors, right? <laughs> like right, it's just right. impossible as human beings. So So this is extremely helpful and cool. Thank you, Mark. Uh, I've been meaning to read Jade City for a while, so maybe it'll be a pick later in the year. Nice. Uh, Shad says, looks like Tor is starting to delay making new releases available to libraries through Overdrive for four months. Now, we should be careful with this because it's a person on Goodreads saying they talked to a library employee who said. So we're already playing a little game of telephone here. Uh, But there's been a couple other people. I looked at a subreddit thread who said, yeah, I ran into the same thing. And it does appear that some of Tor's front list, which means their brand new releases, are not showing up in the OverDrive uh, library selection Mm. right away. Uh, the, The post on Goodreads says four months, that may or may not be exactly the case, uh, but it does appear that that Tor is no longer putting their front list right into Overdrive, which they were before. A lot of publishers don't, uh, mm-hmm. but I think I think the consternation here is Tor is kind of seeing like the good one of the good folks, right? You know, yeah. that, that plays nice, and so changing a policy like that without any statement uh, announcing it or anything uh, took took some people by surprise. I'd be yeah, I'd be curious to know more about why. I mean, generally, I don't know why Tor did it, but generally, what publi- the reason publishers do it is to drum up a little more feeling of exclusivity for the for the release uh, and tweak the sales numbers up a little bit. I can't imagine that library checkouts actually hurt. I would imagine they might actually help sales. A lot of times, free versions. Yeah, if you can't do, get it, yeah. Well, if you can't get it in your it, library, you yeah. might be more likely to buy it. And it's and it helps word of mouth. Uh, you know, if somebody gets it from the library and reads it right away and says, "Oh, you mm-hmm. have to go out and get this," and then somebody's like, "You know what? I'm just going to buy it. I'm not going to." So I I don't know. Maybe Tor found out that uh, that those numbers didn't work that way for them, or maybe there's a problem with Overdrive. Maybe there's there it could always be a deal between Overdrive where they say. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, with the, where the contract between the two needs to be worked out in order to get the front list back, and they haven't agreed on terms, uh, which could be overdrive or tours uh, issue or both. You know, you just don't know. Well, some good news uh, from the tour.com world. Uh, Dara Dara says, Tor says, announcing a pair of solar punk novellas from Becky Chambers via Tor.com. Uh, Dara Dara says, no idea what solar punk is, but I'm interested. Becky Chambers is dope. We agree. Yes. Um, so yeah, Lee Harris writes over on the tour.com blog uh, about how she's going to be writing these two novellas. Uh, they're going to be published uh, via tour.com publishing, though you have to wait for a little while. It's going to be, they're, they're in the making. Um, and Becky says, as someone who's been blown away by tour.com's novella offerings in recent years, I'm delighted to be coming aboard. I'm hugely looking forward to working with Lee, that's Lee Harris, and to be spending some time writing in a brand new universe. What do we think solar punk is? Solar punk. I looked it up. Solar punk. Oh. And I th- and once I looked it up, I'm like, I know we've said this on the show before. Solar punk is a movement that sees the future in a positive light. Uh, oh, not that okay. cyberpunk is negative, but it kind of has the cachet of being dystopic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so solar punk is, well, what if it's utopic a little bit, like not even perfect world, but it just, it just casts things a little more positively. And I can attest that Becky Chambers pulls that off very well without it being a Pollyanna perfect world, right? Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. still trouble, there's still problems, but it just tries to have your characters be positive or have a positive light on them, uh, which I love. Uh, and I love 
Becky Chambers, she's one uh, long way to a small angry planet is going to be in a list of the 25 most underrated sci-fi books I've read that I wrote for Tech Republic should be coming out within a month. Oh, very nice. Oh, I'm excited to hear that one. Mm-hmm. That's, is there a well, lot of stuff we read on your list? Yeah. No, it's, it's well, <laughs> it's 25 books I've read. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're almost entirely sword and laser we've, picks. We've already determined that Tom <laughs> yeah. has very little time to read any other books. Um, but yeah, that that's a, it's an article I wrote. It's coming out uh, within the next month. There'll be a top five video that goes along with it, too. So we should assume that it is approximately the last two years worth of sword and laser science fiction picks? I'd say probably good two-thirds of it is. Okay. There's, I, I've, I've drawn from my life before sword and laser as well. But yeah, a, you'll see a lot of familiar titles in there. All right. Well, now it is time for Barrier Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. Uh, this is a tweet uh, from Scott Pantal, which says, I listened to the Joint Sword and Laser reading podcast, uh, Reading G podcast last week. That's Reading Glasses. Uh, I'm still entertained by the answer to the question of how to privately rate and review books. Don't use an online service. It's one of those super simple kind of answers that is easy to look past. I feel like we talked about this. In fact, I feel like Bria said that she keeps a reading journal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... So maybe it was so super simple to overlook that you overlooked <laughs> listening you include, to that part of the did podcast. Did you include his tweet just so you could, you I didn't. could dress him down? I didn't, but <laughs> I, I felt it happening. I felt it happening, and it was just, it happened so fast. And uh, yeah, but no, it's true. I mean, I, I love I love keeping things offline sometimes. My whole, uh, I have a, a whole Moleskin notebook mm -hmm. that I keep all my meeting notes in and my to-dos, and I don't even have a task manager anymore on my computer because it's all in there. I just literally draw text boxes, check boxes rather, uh, to mark off my to-dos. And so yeah, sometimes going, going super analog is a, a fun way to do things. And you always know it's going to be, a little more private than writing things in an online forum. And the person who had asked the the question uh, on on the last episode said they were looking back through Goodreads and do give star ratings, but wanted a better way to remember the books you've read, which could be taken as any way to remember the books you've read or in Goodreads, which is, I think, mm -hmm. why we were focusing a little bit on the online aspect of it. Yep. Oh, Priscilla uh, wrote in and said, if I had more time to read, this is what my to-be-read would be every month. One, a Shakespeare play, a classic novel, a nonfiction, a vaginal fantasy pick, a sword and laser pick, and if I had more time, I'd read a random one I'm in the mood for. That's a lot of, that's a, that's a pretty heavy list. I, that's like all year for me, Priscilla. <laughs> <laughs> You're not that slow of a reader. <laughs> I, uh, I've gotten faster because I had to. You know, we used to read a book until we were done, until Felicia Day got involved uh, because we were doing the video show for Geek and Sundry. And Felicia real? was the one who was like, no, you're doing a book a month. And we've done it that way ever since. Is that, is that, I don't remember <laughs> you don't that remember we that? did that. Yeah. No. Because we were, we're like, well, we usually read a book like, I don't know, about once every two months. And Felicia's like, no, one a month. You know, because she's like, listen, I read a book a day. I know. Seriously. Suck it up. Uh, it's obviously not a birthday related trait. Well, now I, I feel bad it. that there's not we don't have new vaginal fantasy picks, but I think it's still going strong in the forums. Hmm. So maybe there I think yeah, it's it taken on a bit of a life of its own. Yeah. 
And then we have a thread over in Goodreads uh, that I was hoping we'd get some answers for, but I think we've got some good ones already. Is 2001 A Space Odyssey appropriate Hmm. for my 11-year-old? And this comes to us from Brian, who says, Hi, SNL folks. My son reads way above his level. He has read The Hobbit and is working through Lord of the Air... I think he meant Rings? Lord of the Rings? It says Lord of the Airings, which might be a typo. <laughs> Probably I remember, the autocorrect, I, yeah. Yeah. I remember loving 2001, but I can't remember if there was anything inappropriate for an 11-year-old. He is mature enough to handle profanity, but I don't really want any birds and the bees stuff. Appreciate any advice. Um, hmm. You know, most of the people in the threads are saying they don't remember any sexy times in the book. Uh, and then there's a lot of confusion about whether he means the movie or the book. I mean, it's a book club. Well, default assumption should be well, everyone means about a book. His, he's talking about his reading level too, not his <laughs> yeah. like movie maturity level. But so. uh, I don't recall anything untoward uh, in that respect. Uh, to uh, Trike d- does point out like there's some 60s attitudes about gender roles uh, for sure, mm-hmm. and you know you, that may be something to think about discussing. Um, but it's not. I mean from that era, it's certainly not the worst example of that. So uh, if, I don't know, man, having been the kid that was had to get special permission to go get the chapter books from the library when I was in first grade, I'm always on the side of if they can uh, understand and read it, encourage it. Mm-hmm. Um, John Nevitt says, uh, you know, depending on how you look at it, the movie in particular have the ultimate birds and the bees moment, uh, but neither is sexual about it. I will say that there are many full-grown adults who have a difficult time making sense of the ending, the movie in particular, so you may want to be prepared for that. Uh, That being said, um, I very much enjoyed both, and while I saw the movie when I was about that age, maybe a year or two older, and liked the space stuff, any real understanding didn't happen for many years later and only became crisper when I read the book when I was in my 30s. And I feel like I had that—this is Veronica talking now—I feel like I had that experience a lot as a kid where I read many books that were— you know, a, a few years ahead or maybe, you mm-hmm. know, three or four years ahead of my reading level. I, w- I was the one who would get my list for my summer reading list from school and like blow through all those at the library and then immediately go to like the next few grades up and just start picking from those instead. Um, so, yeah, maybe maybe it's it's less of a like, can he handle it and more of a will he really get a lot out of it? Yeah, uh, I remember I really wanted to read this book called The Chocolate War. And there was a librarian over the summer Mm -hmm. who said, you can't understand that. And it made it harder for me to read it because I kept thinking, well, I'm probably not reading this right because I'm not supposed Mm. to be able to understand it. Mm -hmm. And I was perfectly capable of understanding it. So, yeah, it's a lot of it's about encouragement and like, hey, if you hit a part you don't understand, come get me and and I'll help you understand it. That's what improves the reading. I really did not understand Kushiel's dart when I was 13, but I read it. <laughs> I sure as heck read it. So Yeah, maybe that one to hold it, off. It gave later. me feelings I didn't understand. <laughs> what are these feelings? What are these feelings? This explains a lot about the show that you used to host. <laughs> I asked my dad about it one time. I was like, "Why did you give, <laughs> Why did you give me that book?" And he was like, "I thought you could handle it." Yeah, that's what I th- he said. No, I think you remember you saying that before. That's so funny. Yeah, that's a, that's an old anecdote. Yeah, I'd like to to pull that one out every so often. It's funny, Still makes funny. me laugh. Yeah. Well, what do we do now? 
What do you mean? What do we do now? That was me setting you up for the transition. Oh, do I always have to do the transitions? You can you can pick it up sometime if Are you, you feel sure? like it. I feel like I'm stepping on you if I do that. No, no. Okay. As long as I just I just I mostly do it because I don't like long pauses. Oh, I thought you always did it because you wanted to do it because you're a control freak. I am a little bit of a control freak. <laughs> I really felt that way, especially during the uh, the the big combo podcast mm, last time. Really? So I was like, listen, <laughs> I'm going to read the headers. It'll just make things easier. And I think they were like, okay. <laughs> well, it's time for our book of the month discussion. Of course, we are continuing to discuss <laughs> Mortal Engines by Philip Reeve. Now, we did a lot of wrap up of it with our combo episode on purpose because we wanted to talk about it with with Mallory and Bria. But uh, we will do more wrap-up. And the way the dates are falling, I know it's a little early in the month, but we'll probably be kicking off our next book next time. So this is going to be spoilery about Mortal Engines. Oh, However, shoot. our first comment is not spoilery. It is, I think it's an assertion of opinion, <laughs> but okay. you be the I'm- judge. I realized I messed up because I didn't pick any spoilery discussion threads no, because we'll I kind be, of forgot. I'm just warning people we may be spoilery in our discussion of it. So it's okay, yeah. okay, I'm going to pull up the full spoiler and review thread as well just mm-hmm. to be prepared right. for that. Uh, Tazzy Dave says, Veronica, Cleo isn't named after Miss Cleo. <laughs> in Mortal Engines, she's the goddess of history. Cleo is one of the nine muses of Greek mythology. She is the muse of history. Well, maybe to what to which I said, which I said, you know what? I like my version better. I'm sticking (laughs) to it. Miss Cleo is uh, what I think she would make a really good, good uh, goddess of of history. I can't disagree with any of the facts that Tessie Dave is putting out in front of us. So I'm not going to say Tessie Dave is wrong that Cleo is inspired by the muse of Greek mythology. That seems obvious. But it could be both. It could be that Philip Reeve is like, what an porque, elegant, what an elegant. No los dos. Yeah, I'll, it'll be Miss Cleo and Cleo. It works so well. Yeah. yeah. No, okay. probably not. Probably not. I still like my version better. <laughs> All right. And then we had a thread about favorite characters. Uh, this one was a fun one. Um So Ruth says, this book has a great cast of quirky characters. Who's your fave? Mine is Shrike, the most lovable cyborg killing machine in any book I've read. He's terrifying, and yet his tale is oddly touching. I love his and Hester's weird, broken father-daughter relationship. Now I'm just reading the spoilers in the spoiler tag. We gave the spoiler warning. We gave the spoiler warning, yeah. There are a lot of awful deaths in this book, Ruth says, but the one that really got me in the feels, despite having read the book before so I knew it was coming, is this. Shrike carefully sheathed his claws so that she could take his hand. Unexpected memories fluttered through his disintegrating mind, and he suddenly knew who had been before, who he had been before they dragged him into the resurrection slab to make a stalker of him. He wanted to tell Hester, and he lifted his great iron head towards her. But before he could force the words out, his death was upon him, and it was no easier this time than the last. Mm. Yeah. And then she says, gross sobbing. But then Trike follows up with my response, dog. Yeah. 
everybody. So basically, everybody goes on a little bit of a dog tangent mm-hmm. for a while, including uh, Instagram videos of dogs, people <laughs> saying good dog. And then Ruth is like, yo, my touching moments character moment thread has been hijacked by cute dog videos. Uh, so who's Welcome your favorite character? to the internet, Ruth. Other than dog. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I love Shrike. I love that Shrike honestly thinks the best thing he can do for Hester is kill her so she can be like him. Uh, because he knows that that will that she's going to die anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got this long, li- long-lived perspective. And so the way to protect her is to kill her. I just thought I found that because at first you're like, oh, he's just kind of evil. You know, he likes her, but he doesn't like her that much. Right. And then you find out like, no, he, he's got this internal logic that he's mm-hmm. doing the best for her. It's almost right. fatherly. And it's like, well, that just blew my mind. I love that. So I'm, I'm with Ruth. I like Shrike. The, um, it's kind of hard to have a favorite character because I mean, everyone really does die. Mm. Basically. Uh, and so like, die. Even the impact of Dog's death, which was terrible, (laughs) is kind of mitigated by the fact that everybody in London died. It's not just Dog. (laughs) Dog would have died whether he was shot then (laughs) or, I mean, maybe it was actually a more merciful death for Dog. Because, like, shit went really bad. I mean, I didn't want to have to live through reading it, but you're right. I mean, otherwise you'd be like... After London like blew up, he'd be like, "But what about what da- well, da- uh, uh, <laughs> um, so. I am forgetting character names now, but the uh, historian that helps uh, them mm, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, hide away, and I wish I had a better recollection of the name, but he, I, I pretty, really he's loved, pretty great. Yeah, too. I really loved Anna Fang. I thought she was oh, a great yeah, character. She's good. She's very mm-hmm. good. Would definitely like to know more about that Mary Band. Maybe a prequel someday. Mm. But yeah, Um, then we had a thread about the hunting grounds. And this is something that kind of popped into my mind as I was reading as well. Priscilla says, oh, another Priscilla take. She says, does anybody know where the hunting ground would be located in today's world? I thought at first it was somewhere in the UK. Then I thought maybe North America. Now I'm thinking it's back in the UK or Eastern Europe. Oh, yeah. I thought it was Europe. Mm-hmm. I was I was certain it was like a dried up Mediterranean in Europe because London came down from the north into the hunting grounds. And then when they cross the mountains, they're getting into China and India uh, away when they, you know, when they leave the hunting ground. Uh, and, and so it made sense so to me think, that you think the, the mountains they cross were like the Himalayas were like the Urals, maybe even. Oh, OK. Yeah. Um, or new mountains, you know, because of the disaster too. You could you right. could kind of play it fast and loose, I guess. But but yeah, I always, I always felt like they were rolling around in a in a dried out uh Europe, Mediterranean, Middle East area. Um yeah, that was kind of my 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 guess as well. Um there's some some guesses in here um about like whereabouts it was, like maybe a little bit of like Eurasia. Yeah, cuz they talk about going to America. So he had he had to go over to America. So maybe even the oceans are are dried up a bit, and the killing grounds even larger. But yeah, I don't think no, it's in America. I don't know because Hester's family lived on an island, mm. like somewhere within range of both America. But I wasn't and sure Europe. if that was island surrounded by water or island as in not part of the tracks. It was, defi- where- it, was it was definitely an island surrounded by water. Okay, it was all right. Fine. Yeah, I, I'm I'm ninety percent sure. Um, some of the, so some yeah, of the water's think, dried up, though. Well, there's definitely a land bridge between yeah. 
between the UK and and mainland. I imagine Europe. the 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 oceans have have lowered, if nothing else. To allow I should that. look up. Like I don't know if there's like a map or uh, oh, okay, yeah. So William actually posted. I tracked down a very basic world map here. I don't think there's any real spoilers, but if you want to be, hmm. But if you want, oh, okay. So the great. But if you want to be whiter all... than white, please don't click here. I was like, I don't understand what that means. I'm like, oh, he just means like spoiler free. Okay. So the great hunting ground is all Russia, China, northern China, Mongolia, Europe, Middle East, and the sea is in the middle of that. And then most of China, India is is a separate area. Okay. Uh, yeah, according to the... this map. All right. Yeah, I don't really, there's no key, so I'm not yeah. really sure what these colored colored areas are. Um, but yeah, so you can you can check that out in the forums as well. Cool. So, well, what do you think of the book? Uh, well, I don't really have a whole lot to add uh, from our discussion last week, but I I I found it at you know, it's a young adult title which tend to move faster, uh, which mm-hmm. I like. So, I I found it fast moving. I never got bored. I I liked the characters. Uh, I would have liked a little more development of Hester, uh, and 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 even I'm blanking on character names now. But Tom, Tom, yeah, what <laughs> your own Such name? Such an odd name. Hmm. Tom? Hard to get a grasp of. Tom, Tom, No, um, and and the the daughter, uh, from who stays in London. Uh, those Catherine? three. Yeah, I would have liked a little more of Catherine and Hester, to be honest. Uh, mm-hmm. A little more development of Catherine and Hester. But but overall, it was, it's a fun world. Uh, I like the mechanics of it. Don't look too close at it, you know? It's 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 not meant, it's not hard sci-fi. <laughs> You're not meant to understand exactly how every cog works in every rolling city. Uh, it's, it's, just, uh, it's just a world where you accept that, like, okay, cities can roll around and eat each other. Great. Now, what happens? And that's really fun. Yeah, I think um, I think our our readers really picked up on a few of the, as someone said, hand wavy like making sense moments, oh, like yeah. like you know cities going over a hundred miles an hour, dirigibles flying at two hundred and fifty miles an hour, the the ambiguity of the locations and and how close together things are. Um, so yeah, there's I, I think you're right. I think if you look past the really up close details, uh, it's a fun book. Except for all the murder and dying and horribleness. It's a deadly romp. <laughs> a deadly funny romp. Um, I don't feel the need to read any more of them. I think people were, there was another thread forum going on about like, are you going to read the other books in the mm-hmm. series? I think I'll definitely see the movie. Yeah. Um, I'm glad I'm really read curious it. about it. I, what, how do you feel about that? I, I know, you know, our friends Brian Brushwood and, and Justin Robert Young argue that you should see the movie, then read the book, because the book will only give you more. And if you read the book first, it prejudices no. you against the movie. I still prefer usually to read the book so that I fix my opinions of the events in my head first, my own imagination, and then the movie can expand on that or or not. But Yeah, I, I'm with you. I like that. And I also like feeling like a smarty, smarty pants. I risk not liking the movie as much because of because I've got my own preconceptions. I understand that, but I still prefer that. But, you know, I feel like I'm having a hard time thinking of an example, but I feel like it happened recently where I actually saw a movie and liked it better than I liked the book. Mm-hmm. Um, where like I was just like, oh, this is actually like the way they did this. I kind mm-hmm. of prefer to and the way it was kind of edited down like you're, you're right they actually made like a tighter a tighter story in the movie than in the book um 
And I feel like maybe that's going to be the case here, though. I I'm just really in it for the graphics. How are the graphics? Um, I, I just want to see like how how. Peter Jackson realizes this world and, and shows us some of the more spectacular things. Um, and I also, like I said, I like being the smarty, smarty pants that knows exactly what's going to happen. Um, so when I see it with people, I can be like, that's, that's Anna Fang. She's cool. Her teeth are supposed to be red, but they're not. I think that's part of the delight for me is I, I understand that if, if you're sensitive to spoilers, and I think this is where Brian is when he says this, Seeing the movie first means everything is new and delightful. And then the book is just going to add new things. I get that. I'm not sensitive to spoilers. I don't mind seeing the same story told. I get fun and delight out of, oh, they they did that different. Oh, they went a different direction. Mm. And especially knowing a character well enough to get really excited when they show up on screen and go, oh, there's Fang. That's what she looks like. That's great. Right, you know what right. I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm 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 definitely gonna see it for for that reason. Uh, it never bugs me to to read the book first at all. Yeah, cool. That's well, a wrap. I think that's a wrap. Uh, but thank you, uh, Philip Reeve, for writing a, an enjoyable book. We appreciate it. Indeed, and thank you all for subscribing and for helping us out with our Patreon. Uh, as you know, we're entirely funded by you, our patrons. We don't take any outside advertisement or anything like that right now. Uh, so, <laughs> don't want to close that door in case anyone wants to bring it. You know, hmm. uh, so thank you to all the folks who back our show. If you want to help us out, you can head to Patreon.com/swordandlaser. You can also support the show by buying books through our links. You can find links to the books we talk about and some of our favorites at swordandlaser.com slash books. Hey, give us a review on iTunes. Yeah. It actually really helps us out and it helps other people find the show. Um, and it just, it kind of makes our day. So head over to iTunes and leave a review. It'd be awesome. Seriously, and if you want to, if you want to leave that macaroni us, and cheese and do it right now, like right now, like I, but I'm eating it. You can finish it in a moment. It doesn't take long. Am I even allowed just leave to five review stars. the show? You don't even have to write anything in the review. It's fine. That's true. Yeah, you can definitely do that for reals, people. Um, if you want to leave us an email, our f- email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. I'm getting real punchy off this sparkling watermelon water. Let me tell you, it's... <laughs> I can Pretty barely sparkling. read at this point. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 415-7-SWORD-6. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye. This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there. 